With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audio Frontier. Hi everyone, welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Gary Cassidy here and I'm joined by a former 24-7 champion in WWE. Formerly known as Tucker, you'll know him from Heavy Machinery. But it's Levi Cooper now, and we're going to get into so much more than his WWE run. How's it going today, man? It's going really well, man. Doing doing great. Good to, uh, good to be here. Excellent. It's great to have you. So I don't normally share like what my favorite moments are of someone, but I think that's the way I need to start this off, because I've got two favorite moments of seeing Tucker in WWE, and one of them didn't even really air on WWE television, but it was just a little glimpse that I was like, I really wish we got to see more of this. And it was actually, I don't even know if you'll be aware of it, it was on something that aired over here on BT Sport. And it was a little thing following all the WWE superstars during the UK tour. And I believe it was the new day it was following. And you were just in the background talking to your kid on a phone, on like a call. And it was like two things. One, that is obviously, it just makes you realise how difficult it is for you guys travelling all around the world. But it was just lovely to see that side of someone as well. Do you have any recollection of that at all? Is that something that's completely passed you by and, and you're just like, oh, that was amazing? <laughs> no, it's funny, actually. That you, I do I do remember the point you're talking about. I think I was in like a staircase kind of deal. And and yeah, they were just, you know, being being the new day and being entertaining, kind of cruising around, messing with people or whatever, you know. And just I want to say that that was at... Man, I think that was in Brighton. I think that was our first stop on that tour. But I guess that, like, um, so obviously the traveling must just be the most difficult thing about wrestling for anyone. But I guess for yourself, you know, just having had a newborn kid at that point, how difficult was that? Yeah, man. I mean, it was big time, uh, you know, just huge adjustments, you know, huge adjustments. Um, obviously, had been, you know, working for, you know, five years essentially at the performance center to kind of get in, in, you know, quest of that point. So yeah, to get there and, you know, yeah, my daughter was born in June of, of uh, the year right before we went up. So she was about six months old when we, you know, started going on the road full time. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, it was big time adjustment, difficult uh, in some regards, um, you know, required a lot of communication between my wife and I to just kind of figure out how we're going to, you know, make those things happen and, and always having to make sure you got a backup plan. Cause you know, sometimes you be in the call, like, Hey, we need you to leave tomorrow or whatever, you know, that happened on multiple occasions. So um, yeah, I mean, with kids, it, it can be pretty stressful until you sort of figure out, you know, just or kind of get your system going, you know? Yeah, and, and my other favourite moment of seeing, you know, when, when you were Tucker in WWE, I'm not sure, again, if this is a standout for you at all. It was just something that really stood out for me. And it was a particular match. And it was one of the rare singles matches we saw Tucker in on SmackDown against Dolph Ziggler. Now, a lot has made of, you know, collegiate wrestling backgrounds and stuff, but it seemed like something that always got glossed over in commentary. 
and we didn't really find out that much about, you know, your collegiate background. That match, you know, when you know what you've done in the past and you know what Dolph Ziggler's done in the past, it makes sense that that was a great match. Did that stand out for you? And do you feel like it was like a missed opportunity that more wasn't made of your collegiate wrestling background? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, you know, and a piece of that's on me for sure of not being like, um, maybe forward enough or, or kind of like understanding that that was the thing. Like I need to really, you know, kind of push that to the forefront, especially I guess me as the straight man role, you know, I think if I could have done a better job of kind of like really like not necessarily getting into Otis's stuff all the time. And then when it does finally kind of pull me into his stuff, it, it becomes a more of a thing, you know? Um, but I do remember, I think that was the week after WrestleMania, actually, that me and Dolph wrestled. Or it might have been actually right before. Was it? And we, I don't know. We wrestled twice. We wrestled right think, before WrestleMania. I think this right was afterwards. the match right before, as far as okay. I remember. I'm sure it was bad. Yeah, I remember there being two good ones. Me I remember on that stairs, one. I think. Yeah, the st- it was the one with the stairs incident, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, like, so that was obviously... Well, the, yeah, I mean, I do remember that match. And I mean, Dolph Ziggler was the man anytime, like love working with him and Bobby Roode. And, you know, I mean, most everyone up there, honestly, but Dolph, you know, he very much like he gets it to the umpteenth degree and he's, you know, not like super egotistical when it comes to, he just wants the match to be as good as it can be, you know? And um, so he's definitely, definitely a pleasure to work with him always. Um, I was actually disappointed because the way we were doing that match in the stairs meant that I wasn't going to be a part of the WrestleMania segment that year. And so when we were kind of talking about how I was going to do it and why we were doing what we were doing, I was like, Oh man, that like, that kind of sucks, you know, cause obviously it would like to be part of WrestleMania and uh, the Mandy notice thing was pretty, pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was originally that was supposed to be more of like a kind of a six way or eight way thing, you know, um, but but no fault of his own because Bobby lives in Canada, you know, when, as soon as the pandemic started happening. And I think he, he was kind of wasn't able to, you know, get to Orlando essentially because of that. And so that's how the WrestleMania thing ended up going down. But, yeah, I do remember that match. And like I said, uh, Dolph Ziggler's the man. <laughs> yeah, I think that obviously missing WrestleMania isn't great for anyone. But the fact that you had that match, it definitely stood out for me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that it stood out to. I'm going to bring it down a bit because I mentioned, you know, that match was brilliant. And the reason that the, I, the next thing I'm going to mention was so not brilliant for me as a viewer was because I'd seen that match and I knew what you could do. And I, again, I don't know how much this stood out for you, but my least favorite moment of yours and WWE but through no fault of your own was when you turned up on Raw for the match with Ricochet. And by turned up, I mean, literally turned up on screen no build to you having this completely new look. You looked like ridiculously different to what we'd seen in the past. It needed some storytelling. How do you feel about that looking back? Is it something that you're like, oh, and just, you know, it seemed so rushed for me. Was it rushed for you? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, the whole circumstances around that was disappointing, obviously. I mean, that was essentially the end of my WWE run, you know, was when I turned to my partner and then, we didn't have a match and I feel like, you know, off the top heavy machinery had more to give together. You know, I will definitely take some, some of the blame as like, maybe I did wasn't forceful enough of kind of like 
pushing the things that I needed to do to try to get some something over in the team so that it wasn't just like all Otis all the time, which is sort of what it became, you know, and I, like I said, I understand that some of that's on me, you know, in my, in my mind at the time, I was thinking, well, like, you know, we're going to have three, four year run here. So like he's him, him getting the tag and running the comebacks, like that's working right now. There's really no reason for us to like, try to reinvent the wheel when let's just try to kind of squeeze what we can out of that. And then, you know, cause when we were wrestling NXT, I used to run comebacks all the time. We would yeah. take turns, taking the heat and taking the comebacks and doing these. And, you know, like I said, I mean, just when, when things kind of got going for us on the main roster, that was just sort of the formula, if you will, that was working for us at the time. And Vince liked that, you know, we, at one point we had Otis take a heat and Vince was like, he's not taking the heat anymore. Like, you're the guy taking the heat, you know, so I'm like, okay, message received. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, once the time comes, uh, obviously the pandemic hits and that kind of flips everything upside down, you know, if you will. And, uh, you know, I've talked a little bit about the circumstances surrounding, um, the actual split and, you know, I wasn't even booked that day. Like I came in, um, well, I came in, I think I got called on like a Thursday morning to come in for SmackDown on Friday. And that's when we did the El Gran Gordo thing with the Otis and the Lucha yeah, mask. mask yeah. And then I was booked for Raw, but I wasn't booked for the pay-per-view on Sunday. So I just thought I was off. I was actually heading to the golf course to play golf on that day, like 1.30, our normal call times two. Yeah. And I got a text from travel like, hey, they need you at the stadium. So, um, okay, well, I'm probably not going to make call time because I like need to go change and get all my stuff or whatever. Like, it's fine, you know, just get there. And so I got there at like three and I didn't find out what we we're doing until probably five. You know, the show went live at six, six thirty or seven. And uh, I honestly I mean, I feel like a part of that was just kind of like they maybe knew that they didn't want to use me. I, this is just me guessing. I don't yeah, know this yeah. for sure. But like how I feel now after the fact is that you know, they, they knew maybe that they weren't going to use me. And so, I mean, I don't understand how anything else would make sense for us not to have a match. Like, I mean, just have them kick my ass up and down the ring <laughs> on Monday or the next, you know, whatever it is, like, let's do something to, you know, so yeah, I mean, when we didn't have a match and then kind of that next Monday, like, well, it was, it was not the week like after it was the, it was the yeah. next week, right. Yeah. That me and Ricochet did. Cause the day after I split, I wrestled Humberto Carrillo on main event, main event. Yeah. as a heel. And, you know, like, I don't know if this is the truth or not, but people were like, well, this is kind of a test, you know, just do it and just whatever. So I'm like, all right, you know. And then obviously the next week, I think Ricochet beat me and like, no disrespect to him either. I'm, I'm a fan of his. He's a yeah. good athlete and, you know, great performer. Uh but yeah, I mean, it's not like it makes any sense for me to get beat by a guy that's that size in 90 seconds, you know, when, like you said, I, I mean, I had just kind of went about cutting my hair and doing some stuff. Cause I'm like, well, like I got to change something here, you know? And yeah, I mean, it, you know, was kind of all downhill from there as, as far as things and for me in WWE, unfortunately. Yeah, it was just it was that thing, and that was just like you turned up, and I think you were wearing like really shiny boots and stuff, and I was like, that's a really intriguing look, you know. We hadn't really seen you. I think you wrestled shirtless, so you, like the tattoo was on display and stuff. How much did you have any input into that look, or was it something that they were just like, I'll go and do this? 
Well, yeah. So, I mean, that was stuff that I had from when I was wrestling singles before me and Otis started, right? Oh, yeah. Because, like I said, so the split happened the week before. Like, I didn't know that split was coming. There was no, like, and, I mean, it always behooves you to have a backup plan, of course, in WWE, some other thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I had other ideas, and I pitched those a couple of those other ideas. But ultimately, you know, that's WWE is not a great place to try different things, right? You need like a very polished television product before yeah. like, they're kind of going to put you there. And so I didn't really, you know, I guess I didn't have another kind of polished product because I had only wrestled on TV as heavy machinery, you know, Tucker kind of the fo the foil to Otis and. So that was the gear that I had, and I just brought it that next week because I'm like, well, I, you know, because when I wrestled his heel against Humberto the day after I turned on Otis, I just had to wear my heavy machinery yeah. stuff. I didn't, I didn't have any other gear, and I didn't know, you know. So, um, yeah, that was basically why that that was the gear that I had made. Kind of, uh, well, I had a singlet. I think I was wearing just the tights, but I wasn't wearing the singlet part of it. Um, it was kind of uh, Jim Anvil. Yeah. style kind of you know that's where i kind of took the the look from or whatever that those uh tights came from but yeah yeah and you mentioned their pitches i know that i read that you'd said something about a barbecue man gimmick and you know selling aprons and stuff i've spoke to quite a few people that have been recently released and they've mentioned just you know pitching everything they can i think wesley blake had told me about him wanting to be huskus pig and stuff like that did you pitch anything else? Was it the kind of thing where you're like, oh, I need to think of something? Was there anything that really stood out aside from the barbecue man gimmick? Well, yeah. So, I mean, the barbecue was, was I tried to get that going for me and Otis both, right? Yeah. I wanted that, us to kind of be like, that'd be another thing for us. Just because, you know, tag teams aren't always like, there's usually only one tag team story going on on television at the time, the championship story. And then like, if you can weave your way in other places, then that's, you know, and so for me, I was thinking, okay, well, like, you know, I don't want it to just be our turn every, you know, few months to be like in the title picture. Let's figure something where we, where you can, you know, just, we'll just put it like, we'll put us in the back corner, we'll barbecue and people can just come and interact with us. And like, you're not going to be able to convince me. You ain't going to get good content doing that. Even if it's and just sales, or the whatever, sales you know? would be incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and if somebody can come over and kick our barbecue over and it's on, you know, or whatever, like, so, uh, that, but that was around the time that the, that we were moving to Fox Yeah. and I, and I think I just didn't stay on it. Like I didn't understand kind of where, which other buttons to keep pressing and how to like, it was a good idea. And I, and Vince liked the idea but I think the timing of it was wrong. Um, I pitched a golf guy for myself, kind of like a country club dickhead. You know, I like golf. I'm like, well, I know all the jargon of golf. You know, I could throw out all the lingo and be talking about how I'm going to hit people upside the head with the birdie. You know what I mean? They're going to be <laughs> making bogeys. I'll be, you know, whatever it is. Like, um, Then you could have had a great rivalry with Dolph Ziggler from his former yes. caddy thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I pitched that. Um, I pitched one where like I'm kind of like a mansplainer and I'm sort of like my my uh uh what to say like and I pitched that I would have somebody that would be kind of like the person my taskmaster essentially and like all I'm doing is just thinking about like how everyone's doing different things wrong and how I need to fix them from doing those wrong things backstage and then my you know my handler is like Hey, it's time to wrestle. Like you need to focus on how to wrestle right now and not how to, and I'm like, I'm always just like 
I think I'm living my life perfect and everyone else has little flaws in their existence that I can fix for them. Um, you know, but I'm like, you kind of mentioned earlier about the pitches. I think that, you know, it's, I mean, you can kind of pitch until your face turns blue, but if, if they don't want to use you or like, they don't have plans for you necessarily, then, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you the can the base idea those pitches. The even if they're amazing, like yeah. <laughs> even if you have an amazing pitch and they love it, like and but they don't see it for you, they'll just give it to someone else, yes. you know, like that happens too. So um, you know, yeah, I did, but like I said, I mean, and I could take some onus of this that especially like after that ricochet thing, you know, and after a couple of weeks, like I was just like, well, like, I mean, I'm anytime you put me in the ring, like I'm going to give you, it's actually funny because after that ricochet match, I went to talk, I talked to Vince in gorilla right afterwards. Yeah. And I said, Hey, like whatever you guys asked me to do, I will always give you hundred percent, no matter what I'm like, but I'm capable of doing so much more than this. And I hope I get the chance to prove it. And, you know, and obviously I didn't, and it is what it is, but you know, yeah. I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for a, a goal for to appear on Raw or SmackDown in the coming weeks. That's <laughs> we'll see if they give that to someone else. Um, you mentioned there, Vince, a couple of times, you know, about him being a fan of the barbecue thing and then you're talking to him in Gorilla. A lot of people mention that they don't actually really get to interact with Vince McMahon, but it seems like you did. Did you feel like you had like a good relationship or rapport there at least? Um, I mean, I interacted with them when it was possible, you know, there was definitely would be months that would go by where I wouldn't really interact with them too much, you know, I mean, he's super busy, he's in his office all the time, and like, people are always constantly trying to go in there to figure out, I mean, because he's kind of signing off on every television segment, you know, so um, I don't feel like I had necessarily like a great relationship with him, I do feel like, you know, there was a, le a, a level of respect there, at least, you know, I didn't feel like if I... I mean, he's Vince, you got to come correct, right? So it's not, I'm not going in there every week, just like, hey, sir, how are you, you know? <laughs> like, no, it's like, okay, I have an idea that I think is a good idea. Like, you know, I've, I've tried to run it up the chain and, you know, whatever. Like, I've shopped it around a, a couple writers, a couple producers. They seem like it might be a good idea. So I'll go, you know, I'll run it by Vince and see what he thinks and see if we can't make it happen or whatever, because... You know, if you can get him, if you can get the boss to sign off on it, then, you know, oh, yeah, you're sorted. Yeah. Happen, but, <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, that's kind of what I was saying about the barbecue thing is like, I, I distinctly remember like him leaving that office and being like, that was the best, like kind of pitch conversation we've had with him up to this point. Don't you think yeah. those? He's like, yeah, dude, he was like really into it. He was very engaged. Like he wasn't on his phone, you know, it was probably only a 10 minute conversation or something. Um, and that's why, like I said, I was just kind of thinking like, oh, well, I mean, he seemed to love it and he was writing stuff down. So like, it's probably going to happen, you know? And I think if I would have known that was kind of early on in our time, if I would have known what I knew now, I would have really like stayed on it with some of the people who were kind of like next down in the chain that could make the moves happen and sort of just like, just, you know, constantly, constantly staying on it instead of sort of just being like, oh, well, he liked it and I think it'll happen. And and then kind of it just did it and, and accepting that. Yeah. Well, one thing that, um, you know, mentioned kind of the full turn on notice and stuff like that, it always seemed like, and now looking back, like we noticed one money in the bank, it seemed like it could have gone a few directions. And then when you look at back at it now, it seems like you were essentially like collateral damage there because, you know, Otis won and then it just always seemed like, the only direction and the one that, you know, everyone is speculating about that would have benefited you hugely would have been Otis Dang. cashing in for the tag team titles. 
was that ever seriously discussed? Was it something that you ever heard of, or was it like uh, the, the internet is speculating about it and that's it? Yeah, I mean, it was never some. It was it would pure purely speculation. You know, I never heard any like concrete things about it. You know, and I I said this in an interview like last week, I think, and some people may disagree with this or whatever, but like I personally don't feel like Vince McMahon like is all about tag team wrestling, you know, or that thinks tag team wrestling is like the thing that draws money in his company, just based on the way that it's been booked over the last five or 10 years. Like maybe, you know, in the, in the eighties and nineties, that's, that was a different story. But then, like I said, I mean, this is just my opinion. Uh, but I didn't feel like they were going to use the money in the bank on the tag team championships because be, just for that exact reason yeah, and, and essentially that like you know you you have the money in the bank it, it's essentially like you're going to be the world champ right i mean yeah. only a couple people have unsuccessfully cashed in and if you do that's bad for you as career-wise right <laughs> so you know i just was i just i mean i was hopeful obviously you know that oh well maybe you know maybe that's you know that's what they're going to do and that's what they want to do with us you know but uh it became apparent to me anyways fairly quickly that they were trying to figure out a way to well i don't know honestly i don't know exactly what their plan was around that that story in the in the first place you know because i was home i wasn't a part of that kind of yeah. money in the bank thing at all initially um so yeah i mean i, I was never feeling like they were going to use them on the tag teams you know we we obviously pitched it and we talked to a few people about that and you know, based on their reactions, I don't think that was ever, ever in the cards. Yeah, one thing that I would um, give the opinion of that's similar to in terms of tag team wrestling is the 24-7 championship. And of course, you you won it to the, you know, a couple of times, I think, actually. Looking at that from, you know, your point of view, because as a fan, it does seem like an afterthought or something to use for, you know, comedy angles or stuff like that. And that's about the limit. You mentioned that with the Ricochet match, it felt like that was, you know, beginning of the end, essentially. Did the 24-7 champion stuff uh, change that? Like, when you've got the little runs with that, did it give you any hope that you're like, oh, wait, something might happen now? Um, I mean, I wasn't extremely hopeful, no, just because of the way that things that were kind of going for me in, in the backstage and somehow some of those conversations were you know kind of happening um or not happening um you know i mean it was like any any opportunity to be on television i'm not going to complain about those opportunities i know there's a lot of people fighting for those opportunities and i'm very thankful that you know for the time that i did have um personally you know like i'm i wasn't well, I mean, obviously I wanted to win tag team championships with my man Otis, you know what I mean? Because that was what we were about and that's what we were trying to do. Um, but as far as like, you know, getting a 24-7 championship and that kind of making me feel like I was in a better standing or something, mm, not necessarily just because like, I think, I mean, everybody kind of won the championship in that segment where I won it too. I mean, we all pinned each other, you know what I mean? And like I said, that's, that was cool. And something that I guess at least like I will always have on my resume that, Hey, I didn't leave WWE as like no champion ever in anything. At least I did, you know, win the 24 seven championship, um, you know, in one night and had that opportunity. Well, me and Otis are forever Yolo County tag team champions, Sacramento, <laughs> yeah. but that's native here nor there. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I'm, 
like I said earlier too, some of it was on me. I mean, after the after the Otis thing went down and we didn't have a match, you know, I, I was not in the best headspace either mentally. You know, I was not feeling very positive about, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I just like I think I have a pretty good feeling about kind of when people are telling me the truth or not telling me the truth or when people are kind of trying to give me lip service or just pay me kind of, hey, like we just want to give you an answer so that you'll stop asking us questions type of thing, you know? And I mean, that was just kind of how I was like, I felt like the writing was on the wall. Like, okay, Hey, look, you guys were in a tag team for two years. We, we split up and we didn't have any matches. Then like, that's the only real shot you have, especially without a crowd to like get a new gimmick going, you know? And like, once that's passed up, well, it's going to be really difficult for me to get a new thing kind of going because in the fans eyes it's like well you know what's going on here this is all like wonky you know and just kind of doesn't make any sense there's not a great jumping off point here so you know like i said i i, I kind of felt like i was going to get let go probably uh by about a month after after the split you know and kind of just the way things were going it doesn't mean i didn't you know try and come to work and still pitch some ideas or whatever um but I, I wasn't feeling super hopeful, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned a few times there is, you know, or even actually since the start of the interview, has been like about kind of accountability and yourself, you know, taking ownership of things that went wrong. That goes hand in hand with something that happened after you left WWE, where you put up a photo looking very shredded, very cut, uh, doing some DDP yoga, which, you know, I've done a wee bit of it myself. It does completely change your, your mindset, obviously changes you physically as well. How important has that been for you doing DDP yoga? Super important, man. Super important. I, um, well, around my 30th birthday, which I'm, I'm almost 31 here, I'll be 30, 31 in two weeks. Um, I was having some really serious hip issues, right? Hip flexor issues, you know, and, and had been having some, some kind of inside abductor, things going on for a few years you know and just kind of like had been had gotten pain there and having a hard time really like with my mobility in my hip and and it moving the way I wanted it to and you know so I think at my biggest in WWE I was like 325 you know and pretty consistently in my heavy machinery run I was over 300 pounds or right at the 300 pound mark um you know, that when I wrestled in college, I was like 265 or so. So, you know, that extra weight does, does take a toll on your joints over time. And, um, what I want to say like, well, I just realized that basically for those 30 years or since I'd started training, you know, lifting weights and whatnot, that, you know, the entire time I'd spent, um, in an attempt to get bigger, faster, and stronger, irregardless of the cost to my long-term health, right? Like, Hey, I want to be the best athlete I can be. And to do that, like my training, my training goal is going to be just to get bigger, faster, and stronger, you know? And so to me, when you're trying to reach a goal and, and you kind of come up against an obstacle, you can do two things. You can dig in, which means kind of do all the same things you've been doing, but just do more of them or do them harder. <laughs> Right. Or you can innovate, which means, you know, you either take what other people are doing or you try to find a new way of solving that particular problem. OK, so for 15 years, I'm innovating and digging in on the problem of trying to get bigger, faster and stronger. Well, finally, I realized, OK, there's a third thing here that you have to 
take into account sometimes, and that's a pivot when your goal is not serving you exactly the way that you want it to. And so I realized, oh man, like I can squat 500 pounds, but I can't do it correctly. Like my technique is wrong. And I'm realizing now, like I can't breathe properly up under my diaphragm here. Like I'm super weak. And so, you know, I had been doing DDPY a little bit here and there, and it was kind of a long-winded thing, but basically, you know, I, I made this giant pivot in my training and, and I've, for the better part of a year, I've been, you know, only in search of greater mobility. And I have this book called The Modern Art and Science of Mobility, and it has all your fun functional muscular chains. There's 12 of them. And so I've been focusing on those and, and you know, so that my body's kinetic energy moves in the way that it's supposed to move and that I'm, you know, not having these mobility positions that I can't hit and essentially my body can't uh, protect itself in the way that it's designed to protect itself and, and bolstering my core strength. Um, and yeah, DDPY has been a massive, massive part of that. Um, physically, obviously, I've talked about a lot, but then, you know, on top of it, yeah, the mental piece too. Um, you know, that's kind of another long-winded story, I guess. But for me, uh, you know, mentally things were, were fairly challenging, right? Especially in once the pandemic started and things weren't going that well for heavy machinery, you know, I mean, even from like April or after Otis won the money in the bank up until the split, you know, I guess like there was a chunk of time there where things we weren't really doing too much. He was just kind of doing his stuff. And then we ended up doing, you know, the Miz and Morrison, the court date angle. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the end of, of what we had. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people in the world that were, you know, everybody's going through crazy stuff in the last two years, right? I mean, it's just been, everybody's world's been thrown upside yeah, down. Insane, yeah. And, um, the, you know, so mental health around that has been, been the challenge for sure. I'm sure it's been a challenge for a lot of, a lot of people. And, you know, for me, I discovered that my ego was too attached to wrestling and not just wrestling, but the coming, the, the, the the highs and lows, if you will, you know, like as an amateur athlete, it was easier for me to attach my ego to wins and losses because I was in direct control of those things. But even then I tell as many amateur athletes as I can now to try to disattach your ego from the outcome and attach it to the process. And that's the thing with which I think has, well, I've shifted a lot of that ego energy onto my marriage and my, uh, you know, ability to be a father. Right. So what makes me feel good about me now is more about being a good husband and being a good father than it is about being a good wrestler. Um, and that, you know, being a wrestler is just a piece of who I am. It's not, you know, the bulk yeah, of my identity. Yeah. And for a lot of my life, it was the bulk of my identity. So, you know, that's, and just kind of the, that goes hand in hand with the yoga, because in my opinion, it gives you that time every morning to, you know, see what's kind of coming at you, right? You just take a, take a stop. I mean, you know, slow down a little bit and give your, not just your body, but give your mind a chance to tell you what's kind of there and what are the things they're like cycling all the time for you, you know? And uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. I've done a lot of studying about this mental health thing because it's, it, I believe it's very important and it's something that the world doesn't talk about nearly enough, you know, and self-care in general, I think is, is a massive, massive thing and something I'm very motivated to try to help other people with because I know it's not, you know, something that I took as seriously as I should have 
you know, for some of my life up to this point. And it's something that, you know, just a half an hour a day in the morning of a little bit of stretching and a little bit of mindfulness. Uh, I know it improves my day exponentially. And I think it has the power to do that for a lot of people and just kind of realize that, you know, the things that maybe you're worrying about all that negative self-talk that you have in your mind is, is, is just your perception and it's not the reality of the world. And if you can kind of take a step back and figure out what's super important to you and, and what really matters in your life and you make decisions in service of those things, you're going to be a lot happier person. Yeah, definitely. I love that message. And that's the thing that I found with, you know, the DDPY in particular, you mentioned just having half an hour. For me, it's half an hour of not being on social media or anything like that, just to focus. Um, but one thing, I think I've noticed you doing the black crow, so this might be the answer. I love like the diamond cutters and superstar and stuff. Everyone's got a favorite DDPY move. Does Levi have a favorite DDPY move? Oh, my favorite move, huh? Man. Boy, I think my favorite move is uh, when you stand up with your feet together and you do this one oh, man. to the yeah. side, you know, that one. I, yeah, I mean, it, but it, for a long time, I hated it to the max. And it was interesting because, you know, this is like kind of along the lines of what we're talking about. But, you know, I, I was trying to follow the person I saw on the screen, you know, and then I realized, oh, man, like I'm actually going to I'm not flexible enough to do that. Like I got to yes. back it up and do it. You know, I can't go very far, but like, that's okay. I need to make sure to focus on my breathing and my, you know, and it's like, we all want to do the cool stuff. We all want to do the top stuff, you know, but in order to do those things correctly, you have to be really solid at the fundamental level, you know, and that to me is true of like almost anything in life, you know, is like, you know, you, even if you can do the cool stuff, if you're not sound fundamentally, then you know, you're going to run up against times when like, that's exactly what's required. You don't need to be doing fancy stuff. You need to just be able to know how to do, you know, addition, like, and uh, so that's why I like, I like that one. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's like me on day one, trying to lift my foot above my head going, why can I not do this? And it's like, oh wait, you need to be doing it for you know a long time. Well, yeah. That's, it's called a yoga practice, right? It's called <laughs> yoga practice, not yoga. You can do it right away. Yeah, it exactly. Is, you know, it's and that's and that kind of like goes back to what I was talking about your ego and the journey, right? And like feel good about like feel good about yourself. Okay, we don't nobody needs to practice negative self-talk. Like we all as human beings, we got that part down. We're <laughs> yes, pretty good at disparaging <laughs> ourselves in our brain. But the thing we need to practice is positive self-talk, you know. It's like celebrate your small wins. If you wake up in the morning and do 30 minutes of DDPY, you know, or, or, or you walk, go for a walk in the morning or whatever it is, like you did something, you woke up in the morning to take care of yourself, to improve your day and improve yourself. Like then you need to be telling yourself in your brain, Hey, good job. I did a good job this morning. Like I got up, I could have slept in. I could have done these. I could have spent half an hour on social media. I could have wasted my time in any number of ways, but instead I, I focused my time and energy and I improved at something and I should be proud of myself for that. Most definitely. I've got one final thing before we move on to the, the little 20 questions gimmick. I hope the answer to this is you becoming a DDPY instructor because man, I could listen to you, you know, speak about how important mental health and physical health is all day. I know I'm not going to get the scoop. I know you're not going to say, I am going to impact an AEW or Ring of Honor. So I just want to ask, what is next for Levi Cooper? What is next in the general sense? 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because that is part of my plan is, you know, I've been so I've been streaming on Twitch and I've been getting that going a lot. I have another uh, child that's due in early October. So I'm going to spend some time at home and just I really want to just be a part of the newborn process. So I'm going to take some trips this, you know, right early on in the summer here and do some signings and do a little bit of wrestling. Um, and I'm 2022. I'm hitting the ground running full speed. You know, I'm, I'm uh, going to kick it back and sort of, uh, you know, think about building a new character as building a house and really just work on the foundation. And for me, that's amateur wrestling, you know, and just kind of reminding everyone, uh, hey, these are the things I'm capable of doing. This is the reason why I got into pro wrestling in the first place. You know, when you strip all away all the facade and the jean jackets and all that, like this is really who I am. This is really what I'm all about. And it's like the direct correlation between what you give and what you get that I love about amateur wrestling so much. And it's why it makes me, you know, who I am essentially. So character wise, wrestling wise, that's, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to be trying to do. Like I said, I'm Levi Cooper live on Twitch. Um, I've probably only done like 10, 12 sessions and I've only played video games up to this point, but I am planning on, uh, doing some barbecuing on my channel and hoping to put out some ingredients and recipes so that people can barbecue with me and we can all, you know, do that together. And, uh, my wife and I are going to start doing yoga a couple times a morning on that Twitch channel. And, uh, and I'm hoping, you know, yeah, I've, I've talked to Dallas a couple times and uh, I don't feel like I'm where I want to be in my personal practice. Um, you know, that I, I still feel like I have a little bit more to improve on in a couple of areas before I really want to like fully dig into um, potentially becoming an, an instructor, you know, because like I said, it just, I think for me, I've learned the lesson that you know, I need to really feel like I'm, I need to feel like I'm perfectly in the space for myself before I kind of launch myself full force into, uh, you know, something else like that. Um, but, you know, definitely I'm going to keep wrestling. Definitely. Uh, you're going to see me around and, you know, like I said, I'm just hoping to become the best professional wrestler that Levi Cooper's capable of becoming, you know, not compare myself to anyone else, not setting the goal to get to this particular place or that particular place, but just to improve as an artist and a performer on a daily basis and just, and to see how good I can get for myself. I love that, man. I feel like we're going to see a very different person when you're back in the ring. Audio Frontier. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.